Good morning, Fellowship Greenville. My name is Jim, and I am one of the pastors here. Thank you so, so much for being here to worship Jesus with us today. <clears throat> Greetings across the way, Auditorium One. You guys look beautiful as usual. We're glad that you're here, and if you are visiting with us, uh, we're especially happy to have you. If you have any questions about life here at Fellowship, please stop by our first-time guest center in the commons over in your auditorium uh, one, and we have a team there that can't wait to serve you, and members and regulars, you know the drill. If you are interested at get, in getting further involved, go by Next Steps. Um, we have a team there also that cannot wait to serve you. <clears throat> uh, additionally, if you are visiting with us today, we want you to know that our deepest desire here at Fellowship Greenville is that we become a community of grace passionately pursuing life and mission with Jesus. That is what we want more than anything else here at this church. And we don't just want this uh, abstractly or vaguely or existentially. We want it practically. And the way that we think about living like this is by looking at Jesus's own life and then doing the stuff that he did. And so we have chosen seven main things that we see Jesus doing in the Bible, and we call them our core values. are up on the screen for you right there. Enjoying God, loving others, understanding scripture, depending on the spirit, living in integrity, magnifying grace, and advancing the gospel. And we think, <clears throat> again, we think these things add up to us being a community of grace, following <clears throat> the way of Jesus. And we have taken <clears throat> um, the first uh, seven Sundays of this calendar year to talk about each one of these. And today, our core value is understanding scripture. And we will look at that in Luke chapter 24. If you wanna go ahead and flip there in your Bibles, we will get there in a few minutes. Luke chapter 24. Now, as you are flipping and finding your way there, <clears throat> I wanna let you know about an upcoming opportunity um, because we want to keep these values in front of you, we're gonna be offering some equipping classes a few times a year uh, to keep you thinking about and around these values. <clears throat> they will usually meet these classes on three consecutive Sunday mornings in a row during second service. Uh, if, if you miss the good old days, just think like staccato Sunday school, maybe perhaps. Uh, and our first round of this will be the last three Sundays of March, March 13. Uh, 20 and 27, and for these three weeks, I will be teaching on, depending on the spirit, kind of continuation of Charlie's thoughts from last week, which should be pretty fun. Um, additionally, I'm just really excited about other equipping contexts that we have here at Fellowship Greenville. We have hundreds, hundreds of women that do women, women's Bible studies throughout the week here. There are men's Bible studies and prayer groups in the mornings and, and that meet throughout the week. There is a Tuesday night class that uses the Bible project as material for discussion. <clears throat> Every other Thursday at lunch from noon to one, we have a Theology Thursday class. There is a young adults thing on Monday nights that meets out in the cafe every other Monday night. There are just tons and tons of opportunities that are trying to do this, think about the way of Jesus well, that are trying to do this and we want to keep those in front of you and if you want all the details for all those, you can go online and you can go do the, the bother our friends at Next Steps thing. <clears throat> so 
Um, our core value for the day, understanding scripture. Last week, Charlie talked about what he thought about the Holy Spirit growing up and when he said Holy Ghost and he was scared of it. So I figured I'd do the same with my core value here, which is understanding scripture. So I, I've told you before that I am a Baptist preacher's kid and, and I wanna be very clear, I'm very thankful for that. Absolutely thankful for that. My dad was the best pastor in town. I'll, I'll fight you over that. Um, but being a Baptist preacher's kid in the 80s and 90s, Listen to what this meant for my week. You ready? Here we go. Sunday morning, Sunday school, Bible. Sunday morning, big church, Bible. Sunday night, youth group, Bible. Sunday night, church, Bible. <clears throat> now then, can't forget Wednesday night, youth group, and sometimes Wednesday night, youth choir practice. I'm still figuring that one out. Bible. <clears throat> now, because uh, I was a pastor's kid, and my mom taught in Christian schools, so um, my week was also Monday Bible, Tuesday Bible, Wednesday Bible, Thursday Bible, and chapel. Friday, hold on to your seat, kids, Bible. Okay, now, <clears throat> lest you thought I got a day off in this whole mix, and you're like, okay, Saturday, maybe he didn't Bible so hard. If that's what you're thinking, you haven't met my mom yet. Um, now, if you do know my mom, lucky you, <clears throat> seriously, lucky you, if you know Donna, she will still, to this day, she might have even done it this morning, uh, text me <clears throat> Bible verses that she's praying for me, like a thousand million points to Donna. She is the greatest in the whole wide world. But here's the thing about Donna. Donna makes up kind of songs just as she goes about her day, just kind of singing nicely from place to place, especially she starts making up songs about what she was reading in her Bible. And that's how I got my Saturday Bible fix from Freestyle Donna. That's exactly how it happened. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> I'm not even close to done. In between all these, like uh, the, the mortar <clears throat> for the bricks is... It was the 80s and 90s, and so memory verse cassette tapes, y'all. GT and the Halo Express. Hey, Salty and the Singing Songbook. The Maranatha, some of y'all are like, amen. Look, <clears throat> the Maranatha Singers. I mean, these are so punk rock to listen to these things in the 1992 Ford Blue Arrow Star. You know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And then every night before bed, every night before bed, family devotions. And seriously, hey, seriously, don't forget sword drills, okay? Sword drills, <clears throat> the teacher would call out the verse reference and whoever was the fastest to flip there was obviously the most spiritual. <clears throat> and here's what I loved about sword drills is that my brother and I dominated. We were the preacher's kids. <clears throat> like you could have had the fattest Bible with the little tabs that gave you where the books were and a 10 second head start, me and Daniel crush you, right? That's we, we killed at sword drill. And my brother even went on to, in the shadow of Matt Rexford, uh, do Bible quiz team at Southside Christian School and memorize first, second, and third John, and then go compete with other Christian schools at who knew Bible memory better. That was my whole life growing up, right? <clears throat> that was it. And then, I went to college and two things happened in my relationship with the Bible in college. The first thing that happened is I realized that there was so much in the Bible that I did not know and that it was more unique and wonderful and beautiful and confusing and incredible and humbling than I had ever, ever imagined. And the second thing that I learned about the Bible in college is that it felt super good, felt really good to judge people who didn't know the Bible as much as me. I'm not kidding. <clears throat> I, I remember being 20 years old and going to different churches and hearing the pastor say something and, I, and me going, no, no, you idiot. Like, and, and having verses in my head, <clears throat> like study the Bible, bro. Why are you standing up there? Like I remember feeling that. And I didn't, I didn't realize it, but I was slowly becoming like the people that Jesus was talking to in John chapter five. 
If you don't know about this scene here in John 5, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of his day, and they have, you ready? The entire Old Testament, the entire Hebrew Bible memorized. And this is what Jesus says to these these people in John chapter 5. He says, you search the scriptures because you think by them you have eternal life. And you know what? They bear witness about me, and you refuse to come to me so that you might have life. And for 20-year-old Jim, that was terrifying. Like, I remember feeling this <clears throat> at, a, at a gut level in my early 20s. And it was scary. <clears throat> now, back to our core value. Obviously, we should ask, okay, how should we understand Scripture? And we could do some classroomy things like talk about historical context and literary flow of thought. And we can do original Greek and Hebrew. I, I love, love all that stuff. And we might do some of that uh, in our values equipping class. We'll, we'll probably do understanding scripture in the fall. But remember, <clears throat> remember our philosophy behind our core values. We want to look at Jesus's life and then we want to do the stuff that Jesus did. So our question today is not directly how should we understand scripture? Our question today is a little bit different. It is how did Jesus understand scripture? That's what we have to talk about if we're gonna be consistent with the core values. In Jesus's brain, he was a first century Jewish guy. He was Messiah. He's God in the flesh. How did he understand his Bible? That is our governing question for today. Now, this is not only our question, because this is our philosophy of our core values. But we're also asking it this way because, hey look, my story is proof that Bible knowledge isn't the point. It is not the point. The buck doesn't stop with memorization. John five is proof, look, that it's possible to know a whole lot of Bible and miss Jesus. That's possible. And guess what? There's no life there. No life, eternal, abundant, and present to be had and knowing a whole lot of Bible and missing Jesus. And so, as we answer and hopefully imitate the question, how did Jesus understand scripture? It will, it will lead us into deeper life with Jesus, the life that he wants for us, his people. And the passage that is gonna help us answer our question today is a, is a long one. Obviously, it should be because we're understanding scripture. Luke 24, 13 through 49 is our passage today. If you wanna flip that way, Luke chapter 24, 13 through 49. And I'm gonna read the whole thing. <clears throat> and uh, just for some context, this passage happen, happens right after Jesus' resurrection. Uh, it starts with a couple of his friends who were kind of bummed out because they didn't think that Jesus had risen. So that's where <clears throat> we'll pick up. Um, also, after I read, let's confess uh, together our gratitude for God's word. I'll say my line, which is the word of God for the people of God, and then comes your line with robust appreciation. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> so, how did Jesus understand scripture? Also, guys, this passage at points can be very funny. Use your imagination, be normal, don't be ridiculous, this, this is funny. <clears throat> Luke 24, 13 through 49, buckle up, here we go. <clears throat> that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what you guys talking about? 
And they stood still looking sad. And one of them, oh, Cleopas, he answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know, who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? He said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who's mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was gonna be the one to redeem Israel. Yeah, besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, <clears throat> some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. And he said to them, oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures <clears throat> the things concerning himself. Verse 29. So they drew near <clears throat> to the village Maus, to which they were going, and this is the best. And Jesus acted as if he was going to keep going. But they said, Hey, stay with us. It's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went and he stayed with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and they went back to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed. He appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Verse 36. As they were talking about these things, <clears throat> Jesus himself stood among them. And he said, peace to you. But they were startled, duh, and frightened. And they saw, they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? <clears throat> Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See, look at my hands and my feet. <clears throat> it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said, you guys have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Verse 44. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations starting in Jerusalem. You're witnesses of this stuff. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father, father upon you. So stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Isn't that the best story? 
my goodness, I love resurrected koi Jesus. He is so playful and undead. It's wonderful. This is absolutely one of the best stories in the whole Bible. Now, I wanna, <clears throat> I wanna do stuff on all the details here, but I'm gonna go big picture, and here's the game plan. I'm just gonna make a few observations and then try to land the plane on our question, how did Jesus understand scripture? And in doing so, <clears throat> that's gonna tell us how we should understand the Bible, and also, <clears throat> I think it's gonna help us rightly posture ourselves before God and others. <clears throat> so, broadest observation here. This passage basically <clears throat> has, look, three scenes in the passage. And the pinnacle of each scene is not some idea about scripture in the abstract. The pinnacle of each scene <clears throat> is not even scripture as it relates to Jesus. Are you ready? The highest note sung in each of these three scenes is scripture as it relates to Jesus from Jesus's own perspective. That's what we're after, right? <clears throat> so let's look at the scenes again really briefly. First scene, <clears throat> two of his friends, long walk ahead of him, seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and Jesus just kind of casually joins them and somehow disguises himself. I don't know if it was like a big hoodie or if he pulled some like, I don't know, Yoda, uh, J I don't know, <clears throat> I don't know. They don't recognize him, and he's like, hey guys, I feel like you're a little glum, you're a little sad, is everything okay? And they go, everything okay? Bro, do you even watch the news? They killed Jesus, he was our friend. <clears throat> we thought he was gonna be the Messiah, and it's, he said he was gonna rise three days later, and it's the third day, and we haven't seen him. And then Jesus, <clears throat> oh man, it's so great. He's like, what, Where are you serious? Like, tell me more. So they keep talking about this thing, <clears throat> and here's what I love, and this, this could be a whole sermon in and of itself, he doesn't reveal himself to them when they want him to. You good, all right? <clears throat> he doesn't, he holds back. And instead, he slowly and politely and graciously, but directly, he, he pushes on their faith a little bit or their lack thereof. 25, look at verse 25. <clears throat> oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer and then enter into his glory. <clears throat> Here's the Thompson NIV of it. You ready? Guys, if, you, hey, if your friend Jesus is really the Christ, you don't have anything to worry about. You have nothing to worry about. The Bible tells us so. Scripture teaches that God's chosen one, anointed and appointed Messiah guy, will suffer before he emerges victorious. So I just kind of, <clears throat> that ends the first scene. Then, second scene, <clears throat> they get to the city, Emmaus. They get there, so they're probably walking for, I don't know, three or four hours. And look at verse 28, I love it. Jesus acted like he was gonna keep going, like, all right, big gulp, see you later, just kind of doo-doo-doo, just keep going. And they're like, hey, whoa, 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 bro, it's, it's, it's late. Like, why don't you come crash with us? It's, it's, getting, it's getting into the evening. <clears throat> Jesus is like, well, okay, whatever. And then they, they get check into their Hebrew hotel and they put their stuff down. And then they're like, hey, you guys wanna go eat? And then they go to eat. And then Jesus, they're passing around the food. <clears throat> he takes the bread, verse 31, and he breaks it. And then they, they go, whoa, their eyes were open <clears throat> and they recognize him. And this is the best. Then he vanishes, right? <clears throat> and verse 35, it says that he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, why is that the case? The breaking of the bread, look, is not scripture's story, but it is a symbol that encapsulates the whole of scripture's story, that it was necessary that the Messiah be broken before he enter into his glory. Humiliation before exaltation. <clears throat> but after he vanishes, uh, the Greek is, is just, he became not seen. So after he vanishes, <clears throat> 
They look at one another and they go, whoa, were not our hearts burning within us when we were walking on the road and he explained all the scriptures to us? Our souls were alive and inflamed with yes, glory, yes. And that's the end of scene two, right there. So you got scene one, scene two, and then they're so giddy about the thing after he vanishes that they're like, oh my goodness, that was amazing. They go, you know what we're gonna do? It's late, it's bedtime. Let's run back to Jerusalem. That's what they do. <clears throat> Three or four hours, maybe they run, maybe it was two and a half. Um, so they go all the way back to Jerusalem, all seven miles to tell their friends. So they show up and they're huffing and they're puffing. They're like, guys, you will not believe this. And Jesus is just kind of like, boom. And he just shows up again, right in the middle of them, <clears throat> having this conversation. While the whole room is startled and frightened and overjoyed and they're marveling, they're confused, a little bit freaked out, Jesus asks the question that they're all thinking. He goes, y'all got any fish? Right? <laughs> it's funny. This is one of those things where it's like, that had to have happened because this scene is so climactic. He's like, y'all got broiled fish? It doesn't work. So <clears throat> it's just really, really wonderful. So they have some broiled fish. This has gotta be like 3 a.m. at this point. Um, and then he sits and he teaches them. And this is where we get the language for our core value. Look at verse 45. He opened their mind to, look, understand the scriptures. So what's the main way to understand it from Jesus' perspective? Thanks for asking. Next verse. That the Christ will suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. End of scene three. Now, you should be able to see, right now at this juncture, you should see the pattern between all three scenes. Again, the pinnacle point in these things is not some detached view of the Bible. Oh, I believe this, 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 and this about the Bible. Yeah, we might be able to state those things now. But here, the big point in each scene is how Jesus himself understands and opens up scripture so that we can rightly understand it. So what does he understand about it? Now, I'll tell you right now, I could cut from John 5, like I mentioned earlier, and, and just go, well, it's, they t the scriptures testify about Jesus. They bear witness to him. And that's true, but here it's more specific. It's zoomed in more here. And he says it plainly in 26 and 46. Jesus tells his friends that the story of the Bible is one in which the Messiah, <clears throat> the anointed one, the Christ in Greek, the, the chosen one, suffers death, rises from death, and that is how salvation is brought to the nations. And Jesus, here, he understands himself to be the substance that casts a specifically contoured shadow over the entire Hebrew Bible, over the whole Old Testament. And that shadow is in the shape of a cross. That's what Jesus says. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer? Was it not necessary because of sin and death? Was it not necessary because of the enemy and his lies and the powers? So for Jesus, he understood the long arc, the trajectory of the entire Hebrew Bible to fall on himself. He understood himself to be the melody of scripture's symphony, the melody that was played in a dark and minor key in the Old Testament and at his death, and then played with, with vigor and harmony and life in his resurrection. He understood himself to be the hero of scripture's story specifically the hero that would enter death and then bring life about for God's people. I, I want you to know that this is why we can't stop watching Marvel. It's just like, oh, there's somebody who's kind of human, kind of not, and they save the day by giving their lives. That's the, the truest of all stories right here. And that's how Jesus understood himself to be fulfilling the entire Old Testament 
or Hebrew Bible. So because this is how Jesus understood it, this is how we need to kind of frame it for ourselves. Here we go. Scripture tells a cruciform story that only makes sense with a suffering and resurrected Messiah. Cruciform, new word maybe. It's a Latin rooted word. It means in the shape of the cross. Not just about Jesus in general, but about what happened when he suffered and died to bring salvation. Cruciform is in the shape of the cross and we'll talk about that a little bit more. So scripture tells a cruciform story that only makes sense with a suffering and a resurrected Jesus. That is how Jesus understood it. Hey, and if we want to follow the way of Jesus, that's how we need to be understanding the Bible as well. Now, some of you might be going, Jim, I did my deduction uh, seven minus six. I knew today was gonna be understanding scripture. And I was really kind of excited about the whole thing because I knew you were gonna give me some practical uh, uh, tricks and and tips, uh, some principles for interpreting the Bible correctly because sometimes I open my Bible and I go, oh, dear Lord, help. So I I need that, Jim. Could you give me that? Now, I wanna tell you, if that's what you're thinking, that I've spent the last 20 years of my life thinking about that. And, and I, don't, I don't wanna leave you out to dry because I love talking about that stuff, but I'm gonna give you some, <clears throat> some, some tricks and tips and, and pointers and encouragement, but there's, there's a but at the end of these things. <clears throat> so here we go. Just practical ways to understand the Bible. Here you go. Get a good study Bible. If you need a recommendation, shoot me an email. Take notes in your Bible. Get a pen, get a highlighter. Ask good questions in the margin of your Bible. God's not scared of your questions. Also, download the Bible Project app and use it every day. Go to their YouTube channel, click subscribe, watch everything they've ever produced. It's excellent. Highlight, this is a great one, highlight and underline repeated words in your Bible. We have so many more words and we have modern word processing and technology. The writers of the Bible did not. And so when they use repeated words and phrases, they're like, guys, pay attention. I'm trying to teach you something here. Notice little connections between this part of the Bible and that part of the Bible, little hyperlinks between this and this, and oh, that's kind of like that, and go look that up. Also, if you want to wade a little bit deeper, for any book that we preach through, we'll do Judges next week. If you get our little note sheets at the door, uh, if you flip to the back of the note sheet, on the bottom back of the note sheet, Charlie, Jason, and I list the commentaries that we are using for that specific study. And so go buy one of those and just kind of slowly and patiently read along with us. Those things can be super, super helpful. Okay, now on top of this, the Bible is a community project. It's a covenant project. It's not meant to be fully digested in isolation. I am team like quiet time to the day I die, but that is not the point. So read and talk about scripture with your friends and your family and in your community group you can email us and join a community Bible reading group text. And all of these things are just gonna help you immensely. You can even pretend to be in the the Thompson family, Aerostar in 1992, and find some good old scripture memory songs. If those are on cassette, then you get extra spiritual points. But like, there are incredible songs on Spotify that you can get scripture in your head on. You can go to all the Bible studies you want. I'll give you a ton of great podcasts. And if we need to start sword drills again, that would really help my self-esteem. We can do all that, we can do all that. But, and this is a huge but, big but, do not do any of those things. Don't do any historical context, literary flow of thought, Greek and Hebrew. Don't do any of that so you can fill your brain or feel more spiritual. Don't do any of this stuff, please, and miss Jesus. 
do not. The biggest deal in the whole Bible is that it's a story about the Christ overcoming death by passing through it and out the other side. That is the shape of the Bible's narrative. And that's the thing we need to most get on board with. Scripture tells a cruciform story that only makes sense with a suffering and a resurrected Christ. Now, I'm gonna amen that and believe that and fight to do that as a pastor and a follower of Jesus for the rest of my life. But let's be honest for a minute. The Bible's huge, okay? And some of you might have your own like, oh, I got Romans 8, man. You know, I got Ephesians 2. Hallelujah for grace, amen, amen. Some of you get a little crazy and you read actually the gospels and you interpret the stories and you're like, those stories, man, stories that kind of speak to me. And then you open and you go, what the Habakkuk? I don't even know what just... That's not a book. Like, you don't even know what to do. You go, Obadiah, why are you 21 verses, bro? Why couldn't you just, I mean, I don't understand it. The Old Testament can be strange. There's some parts of the New Testament that can be strange. And so what I'm saying is, I believe that this is true because Jesus said it. That's how Jesus believes the Bible. That's how he understood the Bible. But it's a lot easier said than done. That's what I'm saying. Like, how do you feel the contours of the cross and resurrection and good old practical Proverbs. Like, how do you do that? Like, to me, Proverbs is like a Hebrew Twitter. It's just like a bunch of one-liners, and I'm like, I don't, can't, can't get to the cross there. <clears throat> or Nahum, how do you feel the shape of suffering and glory through the prophet Nahum? Some of you didn't even know Nahum was a book, and that is okay, that's fine. <clears throat> it's tough, that's what I'm saying. And so, so much of this entails having the right storied frame of reference. Let's just do Proverbs. Proverbs is about kingly wisdom. It's about living well and living practically as God's people. Not foolishly, but wisely. So long comes Jesus the Messiah. He is the wisdom that was with God and was God in the beginning. And he's the anointed king of Israel. He's the king they always needed. And he took to himself the penalty of all of Israel's foolishness so that they can then live wisely. In Proverbs, there are always these unbalanced scales of injustice. Well, Jesus brought lasting justice and peace at the cross and resurrection by dealing with sin for good. That's, you gotta have that kind of frame. For, for, let's do Nahum. Nahum is about how the nations will answer for all of their violence and their violent actions and their idolatry. And you know what Jesus says in Luke 24 here? That he has acted in such a way to take humanity's violence into himself so, so his grace is so glorious and so good that now forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. <clears throat> That's what Jesus says. This is my point. If we slowly immerse ourselves into the world of scripture, we will begin to see, even if only faintly at first, we will begin to see the outline of something horrific and dreadful that actually draws us in we will see the silhouette of suffering and death and how somebody has to take it away because we are so deeply entangled in it. And then, if we're reading well, more strongly than this, we will see God's promises to send a death-conquering, snake-crushing hero. We will see that they have been fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ. This is the impetus and narrative movement of the entirety of the Bible. And this is how Jesus understood the Bible himself. So, 
since we're here, <clears throat> I'm, I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna give it a shot. I'm gonna do a cruciform reading of the whole Bible that leads to a resurrected Jesus. Um, <clears throat> and I can't promise that I won't get excited about this thing. Um, <clears throat> here we go. In Genesis 1, just like God brought light out of darkness and life out of nothing, so Jesus brings life and light out of the nothingness of his death. Just like Adam went naked to a tree and led all his offspring astray, so Jesus goes naked to a tree and is leading all his offspring home. In Genesis 3, <clears throat> Jesus is the seed of the woman that crushes the head of the seed of the serpent. Like Noah, he went through the flood of judgment for the salvation of God's family. Like Abraham left his city and everything to follow God, Jesus left his heavenly city to open a way for others to follow God. Like Isaac, the covenant son was offered up on Mount Moriah and came back three days later. Jesus is the true covenant son who was offered up on Mount Calvary and came back three days later. Like Joseph, <clears throat> loved by his father, sold by his brothers, cast into the prison of death, but raised up to reign, so too Jesus suffered all these things before entering into his glory, verse 26. Like Moses, Jesus was almost killed as a baby. He fled to Egypt. He passed through the waters of his baptism. He set God's people free from slavery. He went through the wilderness for a period of 40. <clears throat> he was led by God's spirit like fire and cloud and gave God's people God's law and instruction on the mountain. <clears throat> like the priests, he offered sacrifices, ultimately the sacrifice of himself for the sins of the whole world, like the tabernacle and the temple. He was God's intimate presence among us, not as a building, but as the word made flesh. He is leading his people into a better land than Joshua. He is a more faithful judge than Samuel. <clears throat> he is a more loyal and royal king than all the kings of Israel, Saul, David, and Solomon, all of them precisely because he is the son of David who will reign forever and the increase of his government will know no end. Like Job, <clears throat> he's the truly innocent sufferer. Like Jonah, <clears throat> he was swallowed up in the belly of death for three days, but was raised to proclaim forgiveness to the nations. He is the servant of Isaiah 53, who has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. Like all the prophets of old, <clears throat> Jesus is a prophet, mighty in word and deed, telling God's truth to God's people with kindness, directness, and hope. And unlike the prophets of old, he doesn't merely warn that exile is coming, he prophetically acts out the exile we all deserve by crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experiences separation that we might experience belonging. He was exiled so that we could be brought home into God's family. He clothed himself in shame so that we might be clothed in honor. He took to himself <clears throat> the death that should be ours, the death that we let into God's good world so that we could take hold of the divine life that is rightly his own. And here, here's all that I'm saying. Everything I just did, here's what I want you to know. That is a little drop down arrow on verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's what I'm saying. It's a cruciform story. And when Jesus <clears throat> frames scripture like this, this is not 
like Hebrew literary theory. This is not about, oh, a unifying principle to so that we can interpret better in in a broad and vague sense. When Jesus does this, and this is what I I need you to get, and this is why he says, look at the last line, verse 49. Hey, he goes, I I need you guys to stay in Jerusalem and wait for what the Father promised. This is what's happening. When Jesus does this, he is inviting us into a specific kind of life. And that, that promise of the Father is the Spirit that's gonna enable us to, to live like this. <clears throat> Here's what I mean. Understanding Scripture like this will lead to a cruciform life just like Jesus. If you understand Scripture the way that Jesus understands Scripture, then you're gonna be invited into a cruciform life just like Jesus. We are simultaneously to be people of the book and people of self-giving love. We are to act the way the Messiah acted by understanding scripture and by laying down our lives so that other people can understand scripture and see the forgiveness available in him. Our our lives should be outlined by the shape of the cross because our Lord poured out his life on the cross. If you read the Bible correctly, you will see Jesus' sacrifice as both a welcome to salvation and imitation. That's what we mean when we say understanding scripture like Jesus will lead to a cruciform life like Jesus. And this life is lived by faith. That's why he said, hey, oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe what the prophets have spoken. Don't be slow of heart to believe it. Don't, don't be sluggish in your faith. Don't be passive in trusting him. Believing God's word rightly makes us believe in Jesus rightly. And that starts to change us from within, luring us into a cross-shaped life. And that's more than just kind of what we need to be good Bible readers. That is what the world needs. We are the body of Christ. That is what the world needs. That's what the nations need. You understanding scripture the right way is not just about you and your devotional life. It's about things way bigger than that, like loving other people, depending on the spirit, verse 49. It's about advancing the gospel to all the nations. That's what's at stake if we're to understand rightly what God has given us in his word. It's way, it's way bigger than am I interpreting correctly. It's way bigger than that. So let's do some practical inventory just for a second. <clears throat> Ask yourself, does my understanding of the Bible make me love and look like Jesus more? And if it doesn't, <clears throat> then something's off. So when I'm, I'm in the middle of relational conflict, do I respond in that conflict impulsively like with anger and aggravation? Or is there any sense of relational sacrificial willingness when I'm in conflict? Like when I make financial decisions, when I, when I pull up my, my bank on, on, online on my screen right there, what would it look like to make financial decisions if I thought about putting to death my own wants first. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Isn't that what Jesus did? When I say, do nice things for Sarah, my wife, is that because I'm trying to put her in my debt so that she'll owe me, or is there Christ there? Do I say and do nice things because I'm called to sacrificially love her? What about this? Do I see people that I disagree with as walking debates to win or occasions to serve and love without having to get the last word. That's Isaiah 53 and 1 Peter 2, that he didn't even raise his voice. He didn't even 
He could have gotten the last word. I could list a dozen more questions, but, but here's, here's what I'm getting at. Understanding scripture, <clears throat> are you ready? At the deepest possible level, the way it's supposed to be understood, walks us up to the foot of the cross, and like Bonhoeffer says, it bids us come and die. That's how to read scripture the right way. <clears throat> Why? Because we have a cruciform story, a cruciform savior, and we are called to live a cruciform life shaped by the cross. So very simply put, <clears throat> understanding scripture is not about adding information to the mind. It is about a transformation of the heart, soul, mind, and strength as we learn to behold Jesus as Lord. Lord over death because he conquered it and Lord of life. That's our journey in understanding scripture. And Fellowship Greenville, I, I pray that that is what you want today. And I pray that that's the kind of people that we become. To close each of these <clears throat> messages in this series, we've been giving you guys uh, a quiet minute to meditate and pray and ask the Holy Spirit how he wants to work these things in your life. Um, so if you wanna go ahead and put up your Bible and your journal and whatever, um, <clears throat> we're just gonna give you a, a minute to do that. And if you need some prompts this morning, my suggestions are two. Here they are. Thanks and please Thank God for the gift of his word that tells us a story of how sin and death don't win because of Jesus. Thanks, and then please beg God to make you fall more in love with his word so that your life would be shaped by its truth. Thanks, and please, and you can add your own thoughts to that. So let's take a minute and pray. Lord, let it be. Um, let us be unceasing in our gratitude for your word. And let us be dependent and that we need <clears throat> to read it rightly in a way that makes us trust Jesus and trust the cross more. Please, Holy Spirit. Amen. I think it's <clears throat> fitting today that we wrap our series by taking communion together. These values are about communion. They are about us being a community of grace, trying to follow the way of Jesus. And we must never lose sight of the supreme way that that happens by looking to Jesus at the cross. Our passage says, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and their eyes were open and they recognized him. So may the same be true today with freshness and with faith and with joy. May we recognize Jesus anew because of the bread and the cup that we share. Also, as you came in today, you passed the bread and the cup in the little containers. Um, as the band plays 
Um, if you need to go get that, you're more than welcome to go get that.